Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. Steve Politi from NJ Events Media, and welcome back to the Rutgers Rant. Joined Keith Sargent, James Cratch. All right, back down to earth for the Scarlet Knights. We've not, not an unexpected result at all. A 37-21 loss to Indiana. But, you know, I think we all agree, guys, that, one, it, the outcome was in doubt for a part of the game, which is something new. And, two, we all like the way that the Scarlet Knights competed when they were down. They fell down 23-7 early in the second half. You know, you started to sense that India obviously was showing that it was a better team. It was, it was one of those situations where you thought they were going to pull away, and instead of surrendering and absorbing the inevitable 45-7 loss, you know, we saw what a Greg Shannon team is going to do uh, in that situation. Uh, you know, they're going to fight to the end. And, and of course, the ending was uh, nothing short of spectacular, even if it didn't count. Um, Sars, what were your main takeaways from this game? I mean, what, what did you like about the Scarlet Knights? And was, was there anything that concerned you? Yeah, um, kind of stole my thunder on, on what you, you wrote after the game. They played hard. You know, the, the, you know, the lateral hurt, hurt around the world was kind of emblematic of just, you know, how they never g- gave up. Um, the concerning part would, would be the offense. I think uh, Cratch kind of brought it up in his film review, you know, the epic, uh, you know, film review that, you know, again, I think that might have been read around the world. If, if the yeah, lateral he's actually starting to talk, he's actually starting to coach the team in the film review, I've noticed, which is, which is I, a new, it's a, a new step for him, I think. But his main takeaway in that was, you know, <laughs> They've scored some points, but they have not really uh, sustained a lot of drives. The first uh, game, they, they, they were opportunistic. They were able to uh, take advantage of all those takeaways. And, you know, this past week, uh, you know, not too much from a, uh, you know, the uh, office of efficiency standpoint. Right. And I was going to say, Cratch, it's, it's, it's sort of a mixed bag on offense. I mean, if you took the numbers they had last year, again, we can't make comparisons anymore. Last, this is not last year. I get it. But, you know, for a quarterback to go 21 to 34 like Vedral did, you know, 130 yards is obviously not going to reinvent the offense. Uh, but, you know, it's still uh, they showed some signs offensively, but the, just the consistency isn't there. No, as I wrote, you know, we no longer go to the stadium each week and wonder, like, are they going to throw for 100 yards? Are they going to throw for 50 yards? Are they going to throw for two yards? Right. We're kind of past that point. But still, this is the lowest ranked, you know, passing offense in the Big Ten. This is a team that's averaging under, you know, under four yards a carry, lowest in the Big Ten. This is a team that's been outgained by 100 yards in both of its games. This is, you know, and the truth is you're more likely at any given Saturday to have zero 
takeaways than you are to have seven. So I, I think that we really need, to, you know, look, obviously winning at Michigan State masked everything, and the offense is better than it was last year because last year it was like an extinction-level event every time they took the field. But they're not there yet, uh, which is fine. It's going to take some time. But I think that this week's game, you really had to kind of step back and say, okay, now we understand why Greg Schiano was pumping the brakes on expectations after they beat the Spartans because this is still going to be a long haul. Right. And, you know, it's funny, Sarge, I, when, I, when the game was over, I, I – Sort of, I sort of felt worse about the offense than I did, you know, 28 to 48 hours later. It was the opposite with the defense when I gave it some thought. And if you looked at what happened in that game, after a really good start defensively when they, when they held Indiana to those, those pair of field goals in the, in, the, in the first half, you know, Michael Penix Jr. did basically anything he wanted. Yeah, I think he was finished his last 14 of 16 passes. Uh, he picked apart the defense. And you know, while the running defense is still good, I think you saw, you know, some of the concerns that we had about this defense in, in you know, inability to get a pass rush uh, and, and trouble in coverage in the middle of the field, especially. That was a problem. The big plays would be the most concerning. And uh, look, I mean, we talked about, we, we gave Graciana a lot of credit for blitzing. That was something that we didn't see a whole lot of out of uh, Rutgers football teams in, in recent years. But when you do blitz, it comes with a, a price sometimes. And what, what, what you know, that leaves you know, openings in the middle of the field. If you don't get to the quarterback, if you don't hit him. Um, and a lot of times your uh, your cornerbacks are are on an island. Uh, Indiana had had some really good wide receivers. They they, they took advantage of it. Um, I think I counted ten plays of, of fifteen yards or more, which is a lot. Um, Rutgers, uh, you know, a year ago was uh, near the bottom of the Big Ten and in, in, in big plays allowed. Um, that would be an issue. But again, I think uh, we're we're not going to see anything different from a Graciano defense. He's going to be aggressive, and ultimately. You're, they're just going to have to, uh, you know, trust that their cornerbacks can uh, can excel in one-on-one coverage. Correct. What did you see from the secondary and, and the coverage when you did the film review? I thought they, they were up and down. You know, I, I did think that the tackling was better from the secondary than it was against Michigan State, which I would think is definitely a plus. You know, my biggest takeaway from the film was w- there was a lot of rotating, you know, a lot of rotational stuff, lots of guys playing at Michigan State. But and we saw that again on Saturday, but we're really starting to see with the defense, you know, who are the horses Rutgers can count on, who are the guys. And I felt that, especially on the defensive line, there was a big drop-off when Dwumfor and Julius Turner went out of the game. You know, I think there was one series, I can't pinpoint exactly when in my memory, but those two guys came off in Indiana, you know, Stevie Scott basically ran for 10 yards up the gut, like the next play. Right. You know, I think we saw at the end spots on Yechi and Tverdov, had both had great games. Those are the guys there. But if they're off the field, and especially with Mohamed Ture, you know, having to sit out because of the targeting penalty, they're going to kind of lose that pass rush up front. So I think you know, same thing on the offensive line. You know, we talked all about the mixing and matching in Michigan State. They basically played the same line the entire game on Saturday. So I think we're starting to see who Rutgers has they can kind of count on and who they can't. I think, as we all expected, we're going to come to learn that the depth – everywhere across this team is not good enough, not necessarily at a Big Ten level. So as injuries start to pile up, which is going to happen, you know, given this physical grinder of a Big Ten schedule, I think you're going to start to have to worry about are we going to see major drop-offs when that natural attrition occurs? And that's a big concern, Sergeant. You asked, you asked uh, Greg Shannon about that today. Uh, just, you know, managing the nine Big Ten games in nine weeks, you know, with a team that doesn't have the depth at a lot of positions. You know, they've been lucky so far that they haven't had uh, the kind of devastating injury that, you know, really, if you lose a guy like Julius Turner or, you know, or Dwumfor, you know, you could be in, a, in a really in a bad shape. 
I think that was Cratch who asked that question, but you know, I, I, I give you credit because not, not too many people actually think that I ask good questions, but wow. I'll take yeah. any credit. Yeah, I think it was uh, Cratch who asked that question. Though. But th- to the point, um, I think he gives a lot of credit to Jay Butler and Jay Butler, you know, he, you know, he obviously was, you know, must hire. He was, he was the guy that the strength and di- condition coach who, you know, started from Graciano's tenure. They're very, very close. He give, gives a lot, him a lot of credit. He also talks about Dave McCune, who, you know, again, there's a reason why Graciano, you know, got the band back together. He hired, uh, you know, a lot of the people who were, who were part of the, uh, his success from the first go around, even, you know, his equipment manager, um, you know, Mike Kuzniak. I mean, he, he really trusts his guys um, and he's going to put a, in a lot of uh, value in what, what Jay Butler can do. And that's keeping his players healthy. I know it's easier said than done, but you know, there, there, there is a reason why, you know, he, he, he's been able to uh, keep them relatively healthy. And, and he pointed to Jay Butler as, as, as the biggest reason. And I think the fact he keeps on bringing up Jay Butler tells you what he thinks about the strength and conditioning of the team under the last uh, administration. Oh, right, let's talk see. about the play really quick. Yeah, go ahead. Really go ahead, quick. I, I just want to say something. Natural segue. I've really been really impressed the past few days where Greg Schiano has really kind of stressed, you know, that once you're a new head coach and you kind of take over a program and you go through that, you know, initial wave where guys transfer, they go elsewhere, that, you know, the guys that stayed are his guys now. And I can't help but wonder if there's a little bit of intent with him saying that because going back to the previous regime, that 2016 recruiting class, Chris Ash went out of his way to basically say, like, well, that doesn't really count. Right. Like, I remember the 29 – Rutgers Bruce, that, you know, in-house 2019 recruiting show, within, like, 20 seconds of Mike Quick opening the YouTube video, Ash was like, well, I mean, 2017 is really our first class. So I just have noticed that, and I have to say that I give Shano credit for not making the excuse about the guys he inherited and actually going out there and having market improvement, What no matter the fact they lost Indiana uh, with those guys. You mean he's not, he's not going to stand up and say, it's going to take us four, five, six years, we're not going to hear that? after a loss this year is that what you're trying to say no but he could i guess because he he, he does have that long contract he does have that but, long time. but but to be fair i mean is now the time to kind of talk about maybe what greg Ciano inherited let's let's be honest but chris ash inherited coming off of what kyle flood in 2015 the amount of players i've documented it on nj.com i'm not being a chris ash apologist but there's no question what greg Ciano inherited uh, he inherited a more stable program than than what Chris Ash inherited, okay? Wait a minute. No. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me finish the point. Uh, and I'm just talking about the number of, of transfers. And, and you know, I've written at this before. There were about 40% of, of transfers from Kyle Flood's last 2015 uh, season. They were being investigated by the NCAA. What Chris, what, what Chris Ash inherited is not, is not anywhere near what, what Greg Ciano got. Look, the program was brutal a year ago. We all get that. You know, if you want to talk about coaching, uh, we can have that discussion, and I would probably agree with you. But from a just general health of the program and, and the players, he has to get a little bit of credit. I know what Cratch is saying from, from you know, the, the you know, uh, inheriting, but I just have to say that, you know, that, uh, we are seeing Chris Ash players doing well right now. I agree with that. But to say, to say there was more talent in the program – when Greg Shannon took over, then when, I, when I, I Chris Ash took I, over? I completely think so. Absolutely. You think uh, Cratch, you're going to be the tiebreaker on this one? I think, he, I think, you know, Ash walked in here with a couple NFL players. I mean, that, you know, the program was down, but there were still some, there were still some pieces there. I, you know, I, well, yes, yes. yes. I, I will give Sarge credit 
uh, I will give, excuse me, not Sarge. Sarge, you didn't do anything for this Rutgers team. Uh, <laughs> you helped get Kyle Flood fired. Does that not count? Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, no, so I will say this. I, I think Sarge is right. Like, I, I, look, in hindsight, Chris Ash did not leave the cupboard as bare as I thought he did. Um, but I think, you know, look, I, I, this is how I would phrase it. Chris Ash built – you know that like sketch, that SNL sketch, I, like it was like a weekend update sketch. It was like Horatio Sands right before like everyone. It was like 2000. So this is really dating. When, when the or 2004, whenever the Olympics, I think it was 04, when the Olympics were in Greece, and they were talking about there was a concern like it wasn't going to be ready, and they had like this diorama of like the the Olympic Village or stadium, and basically Horatio Sands like tears off all the pieces until like all that's left is the shrubs in the front. He's like, well, we got this up. I feel in some ways, like, when Chris Ash got fired. That was a, I thought, wild, that was a wild reference, Scratch. <laughs> I, thought, I, always, I thought Rutgers football was like that. Like, well, you know, we, we, we got the sign up that says Rutgers football. <laughs> but now I will admit that I, I do think that at least half, you know, three-quarters of the foundation was laid. But I, I do think it's still going to be a long climb for Greg. But I, I will say with Sarge, I do think that Chris Ash left behind – some big 10 caliber starters, but the depth is just not there because the recruiting was just not there. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. But Craig Ciano has brought in a lot of transfers. We've written about that. Brian Fonseca, uh, you know, a colleague uh, wrote about the 10 transfers from, from big 10 programs. We all get that, but that's still only a, a, you know, a very small percentage of the team. His most important offensive player and his most important defensive player he brought into the program though, at this point, we can agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I can. I, I can agree. In defensive line that we we've given a lot a, a lot of credit to Dwum for you know you know has maybe been the uh, team MVP at this point. Obviously, another transfer. But again, I you, you know if you look up and down the the starting lineup, you know the, the majority are Chris Ash players. All right, we got we got a little a, a little tangent there. A good one though, a good healthy debate. I'm interested to see what uh, Rutgers fans please send us a message and see who you side with on that one. All right, really quick, let's talk about the play because what, what amazed me about this game was that you know the the play that didn't count at the end of the game was essentially the only highlight that anyone in America saw of this game, which is another just another great thing for Greg Schiano because that's what you want. That's you want to see that. Hey, it was exciting. It was funny. I mean, the NFL players were tweeting it. I mean, it, it really went viral. Scratch, you say it was a right call for it not counting? Yes, I agree. It was the right call. Sam Bretman, uh, like, look, as I wrote in the film review, there's a reason why this is like the last gas desperation move because it doesn't work usually. And that's not anyone's fault. It's just right. the way it works. I mean, it's very hard to have eight laterals and have everybody be on their P's and Q's and behind the line or equal to the line. It's difficult. So Sam Bretman was, he was a foot ahead of the line. That, that, that's just the way it goes. It's chaos. You know, this, it, that stuff happens with this play. There's a reason why we don't do it every week. Right, this isn't right. a little football either. I mean, referees, you know, the officials yeah. have to get that call right. That's the reason why you have film review. It's not like, you know, a charity here where, okay, well, that was an exciting play. Let, let, let's just give it to him. It's not like it's going to have an impact on the game. No, that's not the way it works. It's not little league football. So it, it's, yeah. they had to make that call. Right. But it was wild. That's for sure. It was. All right, fellas, let's dive into true false. We've got a, got, a, got a few good ones for you this week. As you know, I'll give you a topic. You say true or false, and we'll discuss it at the end. Uh, first one, true or false, Noah Vedral is on a shorter leash than we think. Cratch. False. Sarge? False. All right. I'm going to go with you too on that one. False. Uh, next one, K-Ron Adams should start this week at running back. Cratch. True. 
Sarge? False. Yeah, I'm going false. I mean, they've given up on Pacheco pretty quick. All right, true or false, we're seeing the flow of – we're seeing the flaw of this defense, and it's the pass rush. Cratch, true or false? False. Sarge? False. False. All right, come back to that one. True or false, Rutgers should use the Johnny Langan package more often. Cratch? False. Oh, interesting. Okay, Sarge? More often, probably not. Probably right about right. Um, so I'll say False. Okay. True or false, Ohio State coach Ryan Day is going to run up the score in this game if he can. Cratch, true or false? True. Sarge? True. Yeah, he's only got eight opportunities to show America what he's got. Uh, True or false, the only thing that can stop Ohio State from running the table in the Big Ten is COVID-19. Cratch, true or false? True. Sarge? True. I agree with that as well. And finally, true or false, Jim Harbaugh is toast. Cratch. False. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I agree. False. Oh, gosh. I think that's, that's it. I will, let's start there. Why do you think? I mean, you lose, Michigan loses to Michigan State. You know, he's only got one more year on his contract after this. What makes either one of you think that, you know, this thing is not going to end acrimoniously in Ann Arbor? So here's my take on this, and I think it's it's sort of like an existential crisis that I'm sure Michigan's dealing with, and you know, a year from now or two from now, if things don't pick up there. I think Nebraska's gonna gonna deal with this. If Jim Harbaugh can't get the Wolverines back to the mountaintop, who can? Yeah. But and yeah. I think at that point you just kind of have to maybe accept as a program we can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I don't know if that's something that people want to necessarily, you know you know, accept it there. And, and I also think too, I mean, you know, he's, he's zany, he's weird, but at the same time too, like, you know, Jim Harbaugh is a Michigan guy, you know, who, you know, while he's had controversial moments, I, I can't off the top of my head think of any terrible, you know, scandals or embarrassments that that program has had, you know, so, you know, at least in, in recent years. So, I, yeah, I, I just think it's a situation where if, if he doesn't want to go back to the NFL – and look, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if Jim Harbaugh said I'm leaving Michigan at the end of the season, half the teams in the NFL will be willing to fire their head coaches to hire him. But even then – you're going to get to a place and you're going to be there for like four years. You know, you're going to tear through a, an NFL pro team like you tore through the 49ers. You know, you might have success, but it's not going to last long. And so, yeah, I just tend to think that, you know, A, this is, you know, a guy as good as it might get for Michigan and B, okay, so Michigan moves on from Harbaugh or he, you know, he decides to move on. You know, who's Michigan going to hire? You know, does a guy like – Matt Campbell at, you know, Iowa State want to go to Michigan, especially when everyone thinks Ryan Day is going to be in the NFL eventually. Are people just going to sit around and wait for that job? Because if you can get hired at Michigan, you probably have a good chance to get hired at Ohio State if you're Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell or any of those coaches. Yeah, valid point. Um, all right, you guys both think that Vedral is established. I'm surprised myself at the number of Rutgers fans who were like, well, let's give Art- Artsikowski a try here, you know, uh, given the fact that, you know, Vedral really is doing a great job uh, running the football, certainly, and he runs the offense well. And he's still, remember, fellas, he's still operating with the same receivers on the, that were on the team last year. This is, you know, other than Krushank, there, there's not a lot of guys who are getting separation out there. Sarge, you agree? Yeah, I, I think, well, first off, it's the nature of the beast. I mean, right. Um, 
fortunately, we, we do have one columnist for our paper who never bangs a drum for, for quarterback change. He's always very, very, very uh, patient with, with, when it comes to that. He Absolutely. Never, I, would, I would never be one who would look, never, who would look longingly hashtag, at the backup quarterback. Would never create a hashtag to, to, for, for, for the backup quarterback whatsoever. So, fortunately, we have that going. But it's the nature of the beast. The fans generally are always, you know, looking at the backup quarterback. I will say this about Vedral. Uh, wasn't good against uh, um, against Indiana. Um, I, I think um, Cratch uh, brought it up, and like they, I I was a little surprised that they didn't float the pocket as much. And I think one of the uh, flaws with Vedral is he's six foot one. So I mean, you know, he's going to have some uh, passes batted down at the line. The way you you, you uh, avoid that is by floating the pocket a little bit. And we saw a couple of those plays where he did get out that that he was able to have some success. You just look at. You know, his statistics from whether it was UCF or limited at Nebraska or even what we've seen with our own eyes, he's just way more accurate than, than, than uh, any of the quarterbacks we've seen in the last couple of years, maybe since Gary Nova senior year. So I, I think he's going to have a long, uh, longer leash than a lot of people uh, think. I will say this, though, Sarge, to your point before, if, if Hayden, Hayden Reddick had a, had a coordinator like Sean Gleason, <laughs> he'd be starting the NFL right now. That, that's how free. I feel about that. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is now. If Aiden runs out there, out there, whatever he's doing, he's a free man. That's all I know. All right. I, I will add this about Vedral. You know, there's a reason why they went with him besides, you know, the attributes Sarge mentioned, you know, that offensive line, although I thought they, they uh, after watching the film, I, they played better than I thought they did live in person. That's still an offensive line that's going to have protection issues, that's going to get the quarterback hit pretty frequently. Although Federal, you know, contributes to that by holding the ball too long on Saturday. Even if you put Art in, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get, get the ball down the field with Art. You know, I, there's a reason why they went with Vedral because his skill set meshed with the limitations they have as an offensive line. The other thing I'll point out is the way this schedule is set up, there's really no Okay, so where are you going to do it? Obviously, you're not going to go with Art heading into Ohio State. I mean, how is that going to benefit anyone if you make a quarterback change going into that game? Then you come back home for a winnable game against Illinois, you know, assuming that they actually can field a team, you know, because they have their own COVID issues now. And then you're playing Michigan the next week. So it's almost like where is that kind of spot? It's not like – a normal season where you've got a bye week or you've got, you know, a, a stray non-conference game against, you know, Buffalo, you know, that you can kind of get well and ease into a thing. You have really no, like you, you're boom, 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 boom. And I like feel like at what point, if you're not going to bench, you can't be- bench Vedral this week. You're probably not going to bench him going to a winnable game against Illinois because guys already won a game for you. It just kind of gets tough in this sort of environment, unless there's an injury to make a change like that. And, but you do think that uh, Karon Adams has to get more carries in this offense after what he showed as a North-South runner. I mean, oh, he, he looked great. Yeah. yeah, no, and look, when I say start on Saturday, I mean, like, I think, like, obviously Isaiah Pacheco's the best running back on a team. Right, right. But, you know, if you're trying to instill this culture and, you know, you know, accountability and everything, you know, and I think some of it was play calling, but there's just – there was just a lot of – East-West dancing with the passes thrown and, and Pacheco running. Karon Adams has got the ball and he hit the hole downfield and he uses yeah. the bowling ball. I feel like, yeah, Ohio kid, you're going to get a team that you don't have a chance to really to, to, to defeat on Saturday. Like, get, you know, see what the guy can do. You know, I mean, uh, Henry, uh, excuse me, Aaron Young didn't have as big of a role in the offense on Saturday. So I feel like there's clearly 
a role for Karon Adams, and you know maybe you ride the hot hand for a series or two to start the game. All right, let's dive into our Rutgers Insider questions. We have a new uh, link, a new website uh, URL, and so it's nj.com backslash insider. If you want to sign up for our uh, great thing, get some questions for us, be part of the conversation here for the Rutgers rant, and even uh, get text messages directly to your phone. All right, we got a bunch of them this week. Uh, let me get right into them. All right. 3.5 wins. Are you taking the over or the under with this team? Uh, that's an interesting question. I got to feel like I'm still going under uh, three and a half. Did, did you guys see anything from this team to make you think you would take the over? Cratch. No, I'll stick under. I mean, yep. I think Maryland's a winnable game. You know, you don't know what's going to happen that Champions Week game. Uh, I, I could see three. I could see them beating Maryland and then, you know, Illinois. I mean, heck, you know, at this point, as I said, now we've got Michigan and Penn State coming here later in the season. And who knows yeah. what you know mental state those programs are going to be in, you know. So yeah, I could see three, but I it's going to really take a, an extraordinary offensive kind of surge, I think, for them to to be four and four going to that right. you know. Final. Especially with the way Maryland looks, Sarge. I mean, they you know now they've got a quarterback. They put up a lot of points against Minnesota, which was a surprise. I mean. What do you think? Where do you go with three and a half? Putting me on the spot. Um, I'm going to say three does sound, seem right, but I'm going to say over. I'm going to say four. I'll give them the four. Wow. I, I, what, what will be interesting to me uh, is if they are competitive, more competitive than people think against Ohio State, they have a chance to be favored against Illinois, which I, I don't even remember the last time they were actually favored you know, in a, in a Big Ten game beforehand. Um, so I'll give them Illinois and then you know Purdue. Um, yeah, that might be tough. You know, they look pretty good. Road, but Purdue looks okay. Uh, Maryland is probably going to be uh, their their best shot. Uh, who knows what you know who who they get in the uh, you know in the in December nineteenth game. Um, you know, Penn State, uh, Michigan. I still think that's a, a big stretch. Three probably does sound about right, but I'll be uh, I'll I'll take the gamble. I'll say I'll take the over. Aren't you always the optimist? All right, next next question. Why can't we get the tight end involved in the offense? Interesting point. You know, I thought that, you know, they brought in the kid from West Virginia. I thought he'd be, he'd be more of a weapon. I mean, what, what's going on there, Crash? What have you seen that that's happening? No, I, I do think Giovanni Haskins, I thought, had a better day blocking on Saturday than he did against Michigan State. You know, he, he was at a big block on, on Adams' run, a couple other runs. You know, um, you know, I think part of it's, you know, unfortunate. You know, the tight end is in Nebraska right now. Travis Volkolek was the guy. You know, if he was still here, he probably would be, you know, the, the featured, you know, target in this passing offense with Bo Melton. But obviously, he, you know, left. And, you know, they just haven't done a, a, tr a great job, you know, recruiting that spot. You know, I, I think Jonathan Lewis clearly is still kind of developing in that position. You know, and, and then a guy like Matt Alimo, I think, you know, was obviously a very heralded, you know, recruit in high school. But it just hasn't necessarily translated – to college success yet but yeah I, I just think that's a position where you know going into the offseason I think they probably need to try to add another grad transfer there though it's always tough because you only have so many spots but definitely needs to be a recruiting focus going forward for the Scarlet Knights just because I, I don't think they really have the the playmaker there that they need well, I remember when Chris Ash started he wasn't going to have tight ends at all so that's part of the problem um, all right so here's another good one uh, can you guys discuss the Muhammad Ture disqualification do you agree with the call any reper repercussions for Ture uh, and how much and he thought that was a turning point for the game 
game. Um, you know, I certainly agree that it seemed like it was, you know, it's like, that's a guy that, requ- that really lean on to get to the quarterback and they didn't get a lot of pressure after that point. Sarge, I mean, what, what happens now with Ture going forward? Uh, Cratch might know, uh, he might be able to correct me, but I think he has to st- uh, sit out the first half you know, this week. Is that correct? I've so I that's what I thought too, but then other people are saying that they may have refined the rule to be that since he got ejected in the first half, that counts as the half, and he, you know the second half obviously. Um, I, I'm I've been struggling to find a, a clarification, but I mean, look, I, I thought nothing. There was no malicious intent on his part, but yeah, it's targeting. You know, I mean, he you know he forearm shivered the guy, the quarterback in the head. You can't do that in 2020. So. Um, I thought it was it was the right call by the textbook. It's unfortunate. I did think it had an impact, as you said. You know, he's a guy who has had success early on, kind of in that pass rush package on third down. Uh, but they should have him back. You know, definitely in the second half this week, if not the first half. And you know, I think it's kind of a learning lesson. I, I believe he tweeted out, you know, hey, he learned. You know, stay away from the quarterback at that point. So uh, nothing big, I think, moving forward. But it's kind of unfortunate. Uh, but again, I don't think they're going to beat Indiana if he's on the field the whole day. Here's a fun one. If Ray Rice had this offensive line, how many yards do you think he would get? Now, I mean, Sarge and I, we were there for him. He was an elite college player. I think he would still be an elite college player. I don't know if he'd have the kind of, you know, workhorse 40, 40 carry a game, 200, 200 yards a game sort of string that he had there for, for Shiano in the first go around. But I still think he'd be. I still think he'd be a top level guy. What do you think, Sarge? Is his offensive line good enough to block for a player like him? No, it's not good enough. One really? of the and as you know, I mean they, that offensive line had four guys who went to the NFL. Uh, they, That's they, true. That the, yep. You know, five guys who were in camps, but you know, four guys actually played in games. I, I, like that. That was what I found interesting, and I wrote about it way back in the day. Was you know, Gracie used to love really, really tall. Offensive linemen, like the six foot seven, six foot eight guys, who you know when you put a five foot nine guy like Ray Rice behind uh, behind him, you know they, you don't see him. And then Ray yeah. would be, you know, he would run like K. Ron Adams. That's why to Cratch's point, maybe there is something to, to the K. Ron Adams uh, experiment, where you know Greg Shiano loves the those bowling ball type guys who don't dance around. Um, yeah, you know, I think as you get further into the development of the, of the program, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the, he, he recruits, you know, if he does go in that direction, what, what he did in the past, back in the day, getting the, the guys like Mike Fladell, who took three years to develop, but he was a six foot eight guy who, who you know, was really effective in what, in, in what they did as his own blocking uh, team. You know, to have a guy like Karon Adams or you know, you know that that type of diminishing the, the the smallish type running back who can you know get to that first level without you know anyone really seeing them and then they're off. You know, I think that's going to be something to to watch as we go forward. All right, this is another really fun question that I think we're going to have a different opinion on. Obviously, who is the who is most to blame for setting this program back? Barchi, Flood, Hobbs, or Ash? <laughs> Um, who wants to go first on that one? I'm, I'm going to say Flood. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, you know, look, I, I don't think Kyle Flood, you know, was ever a bad guy. I think, you know, there, I, I know a lot of people who are still very close with him. And I think, you know, he, he had a really, um, you know, he has a good heart. Okay. Yeah. I know that term, you know, gets overused, but I think deep down he had a good heart. I think he, once, you know, he had a lot of players, you know, from the same position group who got in trouble, you know, all the defensive backs, I think he made a really bad decision with, with one player, Nadir Barnwell. And I think, you know, he just, 
I, I, you know, just lost himself. And I think that, you know, and a lot of those decisions that he made in not suspending players during that right. course of time, I think, added up to it. He made that – he let that culture unravel. The culture, so the culture yeah. is the key word right there because the culture – and that's what led to a lot of players, uh, you know, defecting. That, again, what Chris Ash inherited, and you can look it up. I wish I, I could just Google it myself right now. But I think it was like 40% of the 2014 – 2013 and, and 2015 recruiting classes had it transferred, which was a huge number. And, you know, when Chris Ashley had arrived, you were talking about, you know, upper upperclassmen that he did not have. So, you know, I think more than anyone is Kyle Flood. I know, I know, you know, he, he uh, Kyle, you know, gets some credit for, for winning a share to, uh, you know, of, of the Big East first conference, first and only uh, sh- uh, conference title, you know, in school history. Um, you know, they, they had uh, a lot of success eight and five and, you know, in, in year one in the Big Ten. But beyond that, I think the 2015 season, I think, you know, had, had the biggest impact on, on, on really uh, what happened uh, to the program in the last couple of years. Right. So, yeah. That's a long time ago, though. You know, I will say that. Chris Ash had, I mean, the, the reason they're in the spot now is because of what Chris Ash did. Well, you, what, you, what, you, what happened, yeah, what happened with Chris Ash? I mean, was, you know, year one, you know, was, was you know, anyone was going to struggle. Year two, they, they showed some signs. They won a couple of Big Ten games, went four and eight. You know, that was a logical, you know, step. And then year three was the credit card fraud. Uh, you know, investigation that impacted, you know, seven players from, again, the same position group. You know, any, you know, we've talked about this before on this podcast that, you know, if you're a coach, you can do almost everything right. And then you don't know what your, your players are doing behind the scenes that they're, you know, they're scheming this, you know, unbelievable scheme. And they're all from the same, you know, position group, linebackers, defensive backs that are impacting your depth on special teams. And they're all getting suspended or, or, or booted from the program. You know, that had an impact in year three. But yeah, but Ash, Ash arrived. He thought he knew everything. He brought a, a terrible coaching staff with him and didn't recruit. And, you know, I think that's a lot to do with where they are now. Cratch, you want to settle this tie as well? So I, look, now, granted, I, I did not live it like you guys did, but isn't it Barchi? Wow. Is, okay. Because so, here's why. Like, let's, just, let's go back. Bob the Builder? You're going to throw Barchi I mean, under the bus. I love so here's it. Here's why. If Barchi looks at the videotape, Oh, doesn't Pernetti survive? Because I mean, this is the last question. Like, does Kyle Flood unravel if Julie Herman is not the AD? It just seems like if there was a more competent athletic director next to Kyle, it doesn't get as so out of control potentially. That's possible. That's and, and remember, Julie Julie cut Kyle's legs out from under him trying to fire him in 2013. Right. So then yes. Kyle loses his recruiting class and they kind of stabilized by the 2014 season. But still, I think there's not. And, you know, Barchi, you know, just again and again did not realize that, you know, until finally, you know, I guess, it, you know, in theory, like Rutgers finally accepted its status. This is how you need to go in the Big Ten. But he was just along for the ride at, at last you know, during the coaching search. So, yeah, I would say that there's an argument to make that it's Barchi simply because if he – handles the Mike Rice situation better. Pernetti doesn't get fired. And even if Pernetti's not the AD forever, you probably have a totally different AD search and you have an AD that maybe puts some guardrails on flood and says, oh, Kyle, like we can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the other thing I'll say is 
I think there's a lot of ways to debate, you know, how Pat Hobbs, I never faulted Pat for, again, I wasn't living it. I got the beat, you know, by Chris's second year. I don't fault. I don't think in hindsight, I hiring Chris Ash at the time makes sense. You know, here's a, a young defensive coordinator who just won a national title. He's got a nice family, you know, Urban says he's good. Barry Alvarez says he's good. He says all the right things. He's passionate. Makes total sense. Now, obviously, it didn't work out. But I don't think that it's not like there are some hirings, like not to cross our sports, like when the Jets fire Adam Gase, there's going to be a lot of people who say, no one ever thought this guy was going to work. But there's no reason to look back at hindsight and be like, that was just the, the most ridiculous hire in the history of mankind. But no, I, I will say Barch just because – it almost feels like everything kind of trickles down from the Mike Rice situation. I love the fact we all answered this question differently, and we're, we're all pretty much right. That's <laughs> a good part about it. They're all to blame. All right, uh, we got a couple more, and then we're going to get to the Ohio State preview. Uh, a bunch of people want to know about this uh, Rutgers secondary, if the problem was that just Indiana's receivers uh, were that good and they kept on getting openly in the game. Uh, a specific question, that Izian struggled in the slot. I realized the base D – uh, but why not put in a third quarter Max Melton uh, or slide Avery into the slot to match up with uh, the best receiver? Crash, what do you think about the second? I thought it was going to be the strength of the team. It did not have a great game. Well, I mean, I, I didn't have a great game, but I go back to the depth issue. I mean, of all the positions, I think, you know, groups we looked at, that was one where I, I wrote a lot, like there's depth concerns, you know, and yes, you could put Max Melton on the field, but he's a true freshman who's playing in his, second college football game and he had no spring practice he looks the part though i mean he he looks the part but you also have to remember that too you know i mean they don't have a lot of depth at safety they don't have a lot of depth at cornerback and i I think it's also probably with some sort of fatigue issue because michael Penix didn't really turn it on until the set you know later in the game and he really turned it on yeah. you know, midway through the third quarter into the fourth quarter so I have to think that there was some sort of you know gradual build up where they just kind of maybe were a little bit gassed at the end all right let's jump into the Ohio State preview Greg Schiano facing his old team uh, this matchup to say the least has not been good for the Scarlet Knights since they joined the Big Ten I don't see many reasons to think it'll be, be any better this time around. I watched most of the Ohio State Penn State game. I mean, and, and that uh, Penn State Penn State's the second most talented team in the Big Ten. You know, uh, I mean, Ohio State just ha- did whatever it wanted to in that game. Uh, I think that's probably be the case again. Uh, Sarge, do you see any reason to think this is not going to be a fifty to seven, fifty to nothing kind of game? Is it? Is you know, is there something here that makes you think that maybe this matchup will go better for Rutgers than it has in the past? Here's what I think. I think there will be a moment early on where Greg Schiano punches Ohio State in the mouth, proverbially, of course. But I think there will be something that Greg Schiano uh, comes up with because he knows Ryan Day and you know he knows the personnel. I think he's mm-hmm. going to come up with something early on, and we're going to be like, whoa. Um, I, I think he's going to be more competitive for the first half. I think ultimately comes down to Ohio State in any of these matchups. They've scored no fewer than seven touchdowns in any of these games. And I think, you know, Justin Fields is, is at an all-world level now, 87%. He's, he's, wow. he's completely past his that. I mean, it's crazy. It is un, unreal against, you know, legitimate opponents too. So um, I think they're just too good. I, um, I think he's going to be more competitive. But I think ultimately we're probably going to look at like a 49 uh, 20, 49, 20, maybe. 
Um, 20, okay. Ohio State win. 20 points. 20, yeah, 20, 20 is a big number there. I have to, have to admit, Cratch, I mean, do you think, do you, do you agree with Zards that, 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 that this game, uh, there'll be a moment when Shiano punches them in the face? No, I, I think there definitely could be. I mean, I, I always kind of go back to two years ago, 2018, um, when they were in Columbus, you know, the game where Arsikowski almost got killed by Nick Bosa. The, the, that opening drive, like, when when Chiano was the defensive coordinator still, you know, they had a couple – McDulty had a couple of plays that were going to work, but they just didn't have the talent on the field. They had like a drop, a, you know, a, a false start. Like they just didn't have the ability to execute it. I do think Sarge is right. I think this team and this coaching staff, they're going to get out there and they're going to have something and they're going to execute it. And, you know, they're going to take a 7 nothing lead, you know, or, or they're going to get a turnover, you know, or something like that. Or they're going to block a kick. I keep waiting for that to happen. Yep. But that being said, I just don't think they have enough yet to sustain it. This is still a long haul. I think that Rutgers fans can wake up on Sunday morning and believe that they're going to beat Ohio State someday, even if Saturday night is ugly. Uh, but I tend to think it's going to be pretty lopsided. You know, I think Sarge is right. Like 49 sounds about right for the Buckeyes, but I'm thinking like, you know, seven or the 13 for Rutgers. So I'll say 49, yeah, yeah. 10. That sounds I'm going 56, right. seven. I think that, that, and it's just, there's nothing against nothing, you know, nothing wrong that Greg Shannon's not going to, you know, it's not going to say anything about the state of the program. That's just, that's just where they're at. They're just so far from being competitive with that team. No one in the big 10 is competitive with that team right now. And you know, it might get, we might discover this year that no one in the country is. I mean, I, I watched some of the Clemson Boston college game. They, you know, I know they weren't with, we were without Trevor Lawrence, but you know, BC is not that good to be up at, halftime in that game so this could be Ohio State season one final thought for you guys on Ohio State if you were the Jets and you you got the number one pick is there a scenario where you take Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence Cratch? no because I remain convinced that Sam Darnold is going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. Oh, oh come on. Just ha- no, I, I'm serious. I, I just – I think he's going to be. And but I, it's over for him. If they go, if they go one and 15, they're going to take a quarterback. No, you're, you're probably right. Um, I would <laughs> – you know what? I probably would take Justin Fields just because I think at this point, you know, as long as you think that, you know, he, he has the ability because, you know, Baker Mayfield, although he is not – He's kind of tailed, but, you know, Kyler Murray, we've kind of proven that those guys can be successful in the NFL. But I I would say if I'm the Jets and I'm taking him number one, I am strongly considering hiring Ryan Day as the head coach. Wow. Pairing it together. Oh, that'd be, that'd be huge. That's a great, that's a great point. And Jeff Halfley is the head coach at Ohio State next year. Maybe I'll write a good column for me. There you go. That is, everyone talks about Dabo and Lawrence, but that, that, uh, you know, you heard it here first, uh, fellas. I mean, wow. That, yeah. that, I tell you what, that's, that's a culture change yeah. in Florham Park. Talk about ending two careers at once. Two promising <laughs> careers at once end in with the Jets, Ryan Day and his quarterback, Justin Fields. Hey, we got, we got to talk some hoops. Oh, yeah, let's talk some hoops. What do you got? So how crazy is that, like, we're, like, oh, three, four weeks from the start of the season and there's no schedule? Yeah, that's <laughs> weird. 
Yeah. No, I'm serious. Like, I, like, are we gonna like? Am I gonna get to the rack on November 25th, and I just am not gonna know who's gonna come out on the court? Like, how great would that be? Like, we get there, and it's well, like we have a roster. At least we have a we roster. Have a roster. Michael's <laughs> you know? like, I don't know, guys. It could be Mary Mac. It could be Iona. It could be this school. But we know it's not gonna be Seton Hall at this point. At least it oh look like which is, like, which is go, a travesty. Go, right? go play a team from Rock Hill, South Carolina, and Louisville, Kentucky, on opening night. Yeah. Right. And I love the fact that this this team, this basketball team, and it, and if you haven't read Brian Fonseca's great oh, story, really yeah. good. I mean, about about Miles, they're just they're just there's just a colorful group of people. I mean, the fact that they're they're taking shots at Seton Hall for not for for dodging them. I mean, Geo Baker and Ron Harper are just are just needling them on on social media. Uh, that is to me, that is just wonderful. That speaks to their confidence. That speaks to their you know personalities and speaks to Steve Michael for letting them do it. So, I mean, I don't know what's going on with that, but if they do not play that game. I'm sorry. That is just embarrassing. Embarrassing. Totally. It's a pandemic. <laughs> it's pandemic. Exactly. You're gonna go play that. It's just ridiculous. You're gonna play, play in a parking lot. Like, like no, I, I'm not I'm not this is semi-serious. Play the game outdoors. Like throw up a tent in the parking lot at MetLife Stadium, throw a court down, get some heaters, get it done. I like it. I like it. All right, we'll call it the James Cratch classic. All right, Star we, we, we going to know who the president is when we have, when we have the podcast this time next week. What's, what, what do you think there, Sarge? How about Greg Schiano? Like when we, when I pressed him <laughs> on, on, on whether he voted, what are you waiting for, Greg? What are you waiting for? At first I thought you were going to say, how about Greg Schiano for president? I'm like, well, you know, I mean, he's, 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 <laughs> I mean, if they would have beaten Indiana, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been a bit of a homer for the guy, but I think that might even be crossing a line for me at this point. <laughs> oh, man. I, I do think we'll know. You think we'll know? Oh, I think we'll know. We'll find out. All right, fellas. Let's sign off there. Steve Politi, James Cratch, Keith Sargent. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after the Ohio State game, assuming there's still, you know, the country is not in flames to discuss what happened in the game. Thanks for listening. <laughs>